Welcome back to the Empathy Podcast with Saba and Sharon, Season 3. If you're a first-time listener here, welcome to the family, where we create a safe space to talk about empathy with individuals across all different walks in life, something which we think our world could perhaps use a little bit more of. And of course, to our Empathy family, we are extremely excited to be back with a brand new season, and we cannot wait to share this amazing lineup with you guys this spring. We're starting off season three with Audrey Pei, an undergrad at Stanford University and founder and executive director of WeTech, a nonprofit based in the Philippines that aims to educate, inspire, and empower youth to break gender barriers and use tech to make a social difference. Her work has garnered global recognition since she launched the organization at age 15. She is a two-time TEDx Association of Southeast Asian Nations and UN speaker, having been featured in local and international publications like Forbes, Esquire, and Elite Daily. That being said, stay tuned for Audrey's story. Hi, Audrey. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be here. We're excited to talk to you. I think it would be really cool to just start us off by telling us a little bit more about WeTech and um, what motivated you to start a nonprofit at 15 years old. For sure. I think back to the origins of WeTech and really trace it back to my middle school years. So for context, I was born and raised in Manila, Philippines, where we had to do this mandatory computer class. But when you say computer class, don't think like programming per se, but more like how to use Microsoft Office. And I honestly didn't find it that exciting, didn't think much of a career in tech or even just exploring tech in general until one day my teacher decided to go completely off curriculum and introduced us to this game where a snake had to navigate a maze using blocks that represented lines of code. I was really fascinated by that and really just realized for the first time in my life that a lot of the technology that I rely on on a day-to-day basis is made using a code. So I wanted to learn more and I asked my teacher if we would be able to learn more about programming and fast. But I was told that unfortunately it isn't part of the Philippine curriculum so we wouldn't be touching that topic any further. But if I was really keen on it, I could go online and discover resources from there. So that's what I did for the rest of like middle school, early high school, when I wasn't studying or in an extracurricular, I would literally be Googling how to learn how to code free computer science tutorials. And in that process, started getting more confidence and really thinking about like how to use tech for social good after reading articles about it and watching these really cool TED Talks online. So fast forward to high school, I get asked these questions about career choices, potential majors at university, and I expressed an interest in tech, which was met with a lot of pushback from my community, surprisingly. I was able to discover that I was the only girl in my grade that wanted to go into tech, and I was one of two girls in the entire grade, ninth grade at the time, they wanted to go into STEM. The other girl wanted to be a doctor, so very different from my aspirations of that. Um, Meanwhile, guys in my in my grade told me that oh we didn't know you're into video games because to them like tech exclusively meant video <laughs> games whereas I was thinking like about tech for social impact social good thinking about how to use apps and websites to solve issues in the community and really the feedback that hit me the hardest I think was when a teacher said to me that she didn't think I was a good fit for the field mm, okay. and that kind of got me thinking that I also found it hard for myself to to be a good fit in tech because I couldn't name a single woman in tech at the time. 
And yeah. that propelled me to do a simple Google search of like women in tech. And that's where I discovered statistics and reports that confirmed like my frustrations over like the lack of representation in tech. And that's how the idea to start VTech was born. That I'm just inspired listening to this story. <laughs> I can't imagine. I'm. I mean, I'm. I'm hoping your your classmates are looking back now and, and saying I should have spoken to her sooner or something like that. But yeah. So you spoke about TED Talks and finding inspiration online. So I just want to ask you if there's anyone or any TED Talk in particular that really inspired you and and why. The TED Talk that inspired me the most is probably Brave Not Perfect by Rashma Sojani. So Rashma Sojani is the founder and CEO or former CEO of Girls Who Code. And that entire nonprofit is founded on the basis of providing American high school and elementary school girls with the access to internships, coding camps that are really centered towards getting more representation in the tech okay. industry. And Rashma Sojani, she really explained how her like life philosophy is like girls should strive for bravery rather than perfection because she mm-hmm. she pushes forward this idea that like as young girls we're really socialized to not make mistakes to mm-hmm. kind of like sit still look pretty that kind of like yeah. whereas like she thinks that when we really push ourselves to accept that like making mistakes is normal it's part of like, the learning process that's when we can like encourage more girls to adopt that mindset and explore like male dominated fields like that so she was really inspiring and not just like the brave not perfect part about like really inspired me but just like just overall mindset that she had about adopting it to career choices in the sense that Rashma Sojani was a former like public servant or I think she ran for public office and like lost really badly in, a, in, a, in the election in like New York I believe okay. is where she ran mm-hmm. so she talked about shifting from like public service to nonprofit work and how she really grew up with this dream of like becoming an elected official but really realized that at the end of the day when you want to help people there's so many other avenues to do that and I yeah. think like that thought process really inspired me with WeTech because I always thought studying nonprofits, doing like social impact projects is something that adults had to do or like only mm-hmm. adults got to do but after watching her TED talk, I thought I might as well like take a chance and and start something because the worst thing that could happen is that it could fail and I would just learn. And with that inspiration, obviously, it has led you to create this amazing startup of WeTech. And I'm sure like starting it at 15 years old. OK, first of all, I think that's super impressive. And like, secondly, I'm sure you have had many milestones with WeTech over these last few years. And so I was wondering if you could briefly take us through them and like what achievements have WeTech had over these few years? I would love to. Firstly, thank you so much for all your kind words about WeTech. Makes me so happy to hear. And in terms of milestones, an important aspect, I think, of WeTech's journey in the past five going on six years is that we weren't always a nonprofit to begin with. Mm. We started as a blog that I used to feature the different stories of women in technology, women that I wish I knew in my immediate community that I'd grown up exposed to. I found these women through going on LinkedIn, Instagram, and simply cold messaging them and saying that, hi, my name's Audrey. Mm, yeah. I was 15, so I'd be like, my, I, I'm 15 years old and I'm looking for role models in tech and I don't know any um, immediate to me. Would you be willing to answer some questions? And I'll write your story up in a blog post that can serve as inspiration for not just like me, but like other young girls like me that feel like they're under-supported in the tech industry. And slowly but surely, we started building this network of women from places like Singapore, Netherlands, US, Philippines, of course, 
So this global network of women in tech and really started distilling their stories into blog posts that then got shared um, across multiple networks. So after a couple of months doing that, I felt a bit of a slump in the sense that I was receiving a lot of comments that like all these women were really inspiring, these blog posts were inspiring. And the nagging thought at the back of my head was, what good is inspiration if it doesn't lead into action? Like I felt like as much as like the content was being put out there to inspire more young more young girls to go into tech, like we didn't really have a concrete way of measuring that type of impact. And mm. I thought to myself, like, how can we do that? How can we turn inspiration into into action through like women in technology? And that was where the idea of starting the first women in tech conference for students and by students in the Philippines came mm. about. I remember going to hackathons, pitching competitions, networking events back home in Manila and always walking into these rooms where I was one of the few women there and like usually the only teenager there. And I'd see opportunities like the Grace Hopper Conference for Women in Tech in the United States. I'd see like Girls Who Code and I'd get really frustrated because when I tried to access these opportunities, like they were very like US oriented, Mm -hmm. very inaccessible to me back in Southeast Asia. And I thought, like, why don't we, like, make these opportunities happen here in Manila, Philippines? Like, why don't we, why don't we wait for adults to, to start these projects? Why don't yeah. we, like, put them forth on our own? So that was how we tech transitioned from a blog to a community organization. And that, like, really marked, I think, our leap from, like, online content to, like, in-person. Because this was, like, pre-pandemic, 2018. Um, and then after that conference, we... We noticed that a lot of our participants came from like middle to upper class backgrounds in the sense that like they could go home, look up CS tutorials, attend more talks and conferences in the Metro Manila area. Very much skewed towards like that demographic. And my team and I were discussing. So at this point, like I had recruited more people onto WeTech's team. We were spanning across several like high schools and colleges in the Metro Manila area. And we talked about our values as an organization, which is to really advocate for equality in fact. And we mm-hmm. thought, what good is equality if all our events are only accessible towards like one demographic? How can we make sure that tech is something for everybody in the Philippines, regardless of their gender and socioeconomic status? So that was where we shifted into doing Women in Tech Teach programs, which are essentially outreach programs where we go to low-income areas across the country and we bring secondhand laptops, tech modules that we created throughout the organization. And we talk to a lot of young people that have very limited exposure to tech. And many of them have never like, heard of like terms like programming, startups before. And we kind of give like crash courses on that in an attempt to really democratize access to tech and tech literacy programs throughout the country. Mm-hmm. Now with the pandemic going on, we have been resolved now more than ever to really talk about accessibility in terms of, yes, tech materials, but also in terms of their link to an education. Mm-hmm. Because we're now seeing that like without access to tech, like things like Zoom, laptops, tablets, like that means basically a lack of like online education which we consider as a human right so those are kind of our big our big milestones our big hits (laughs) can I just say for the longest time I feel like I was just afraid of these like tech jargon it's an area that's that is alien to me and now I feel like after the pandemic I'm slowly starting to realize that it's not just these massive like binary sort of industries but there's so much to it like you said and it's so cool that you're doing this to just make people aware I mean like amongst like all those big milestones and like little projects that you guys have going on are there any particular ones that are super close to your heart or something that was particularly memorable to you amongst all the things that WeTech has going on 
I love this question because I feel like different projects that we've had at Retex speak to like different parts. My experience in tech, but definitely a standout project was establishing the chapters. So I took a gap year before starting my freshman year at Stanford. And the intent of that was to really make sure that like the operations in Manila would still be able to go on with me in the US and also be able to dedicate an academic year's worth of time to establishing Retex chapters around the world. So I, in that year, did very hands-on work talking to chapter heads, chapter coordinators that supervise each region around the world. And I really think back to that entire gap year, the months there, and I think so fondly about how I was finally able to give my complete focus to WeTech. Whereas mm-hmm. when I was in high school, I was always working on WeTech and thinking, oh, I should be studying. And then studying and thinking, uh. oh, I should be working on WeTech. <laughs> like there's that back and forth. But in that gap year, I was able to like really throw myself into WeTech and just not feel bad about having to potentially miss class because of an event or like sure. balancing like the IV and like WeTech <laughs> is also really stressful. So I was able to make it through that. And a couple of months into our chapter program, we were able to organize this virtual mixer for all our different chapter heads to come and meet each other. And I remember just seeing so many friendships form through that meeting. And I got messages after from people saying that like they were really happy to have been able to meet chapter heads from like across the world and other like continents. And I remember just getting really emotional and thinking that like this is the community that I wish I had growing up. And I I'm so happy to continue this work and it motivates me to know that other people are finding this community, especially those that are much younger than me and they're finding their support systems and they're like virtual tech friends through Retag. And that's something that we definitely want to sustain moving forward. And it just really warms my heart because up until now, like I still see like a lot of our members like talk to each other, like do separate calls. So like you have to know each other, work on different projects like outside of the organization. And that's just something that motivates me every day. That's just inspiring to hear. Like, I'm sure you are also a role model for so many young kids wanting to go into this career. And yeah, I'm, I'm just in awe. <laughs> <laughs> I share the sentiment, Sharon. <laughs> um, just to sort of focus on another aspect of, of being a young entrepreneur, I'm sure you faced, you talked about how that one teacher told you that you weren't the right fit. I just want to ask you, what are some like challenges that you faced in bridging this gender gap as a young entrepreneur and also just a woman in STEM? Some of the challenges that I faced as a young entrepreneur and as a woman in STEM include feeling like I'm not doing enough. So that feeling was very consistent throughout high school because for a period I fell into this trap of like comparing my nonprofit metrics with like other nonprofits or like other like young leaders. And I think when I finally dispelled that mindset and focused on the fact that my success with my nonprofit is entirely different from like another person's work with their nonprofit and to not see it as like competition, but rather collaboration, like that was much more like healthy. And that really diminished the mindset of like, I'm not doing enough. For me, like I've always been like a type A, like overthinker and (laughs) I realized that I cannot translate like the, the, those skills to nonprofit work in the way that like brings me good outcomes with studying. I say that because a lot of the time, like when you're studying or like when you're revising for like IB exams, or, like GCSEs, like you want to like have like a set schedule and like there's a set like metric for like what is success. It's like if you get this like particular mark or like particular like, like yeah. letter grade. But with nonprofit work, I had to get really used to this idea of uncertainty 
and really accepting that this project could not go as planned and that's okay. Or maybe recruitment won't be that successful this year because we didn't market enough. So it's a lot yeah. of like learning experiences and like I, I always say that like there's no one set way to start a nonprofit. Like there's never yeah. going to be a, a complete guidebook because it's so different depending on the circumstances of each each person and each problem that they want to help solve. But I think this quote that I read online, I forgot from where I need to check where it's from, really summarizes like best um what I how I feel about nonprofit work after a couple of years in the in the system. And it's that every founder should strive for their nonprofit to be irrelevant. And I and I love that because I think at the end of the day, like it should never be about how recognized your nonprofit is. I think the overall goal of every founder should be for their nonprofit to not have to exist because the problem that they founded it on doesn't exist anymore. And I love that way of thought oh, wow. because like it really like, like it really like speaks, I think. It does. The core reason of why nonprofits should exist. And I've kind of like started living by that. Because at the end of the day, like while it's really nice to to see like press and like be invited to cool events and meet other like founders, I do envision a future one day where I'm doing something entirely different because this issue has already been solved. And hopefully we tech in some capacity has helped that issue. I hope one day to see that future where like lack of women in tech isn't a problem or uh, yeah. the lack of socioeconomic diversity in tech also is, is a problem. That's Honestly, that that quote is really beautiful, and I'm so glad you shared it with us. I'm sure, like the the nonprofit world has given you a lot of preparation for the uncertainty that the pandemic brought. Yeah. Um, and, and I mean, now that we're all working in in hybrid work environments, um, what impact do you think this has had for opportunities for women in STEM? Like thinking about opportunities of women in STEM during the pandemic with the shift of virtual learning, virtual opportunities and whatnot, really yeah. reminds me of how there's always been so many opportunities, resources online. And I think I've noticed during the pandemic that a lot of people are just becoming like more aware of that mm-hmm. because of how we can take like online classes. We can like, we've now been forced to do like online mixers and shift like our lifestyles. Um, yeah. to online platforms and I've always been an advocate for for saying that like you can learn like practically anything online yeah. as long as you like look for it um, but with that said I, I do acknowledge that it is such a privilege because while we are having a heightened sense of awareness of how much opportunity exists online there's also a heightened awareness of how those opportunities are just inaccessible to people that don't have the wi-fi that don't have yeah. the desktop or laptops in their homes and i think that while i'm really really grateful that so much like more like events are becoming online because it includes people from around the world so it's not just like the grace hopper conference for instance isn't just like limited to people in the u.s like you don't have to fly in to get to get in you can like attend via online platforms like this mm-hmm. um, there is like that flip side where it presupposes that these people have like the bare minimum access to like wi-fi and like tech resources and i hope that looking forward more people realize like here at stanford for instance just because everybody here more or less like has that like wi-fi connection being on campus and like there are ways for students i believe that can't afford laptops to rent it out or just like get loans for laptops free and like return Mm -hmm. them at the end of the quarter Uh, i do know from personal experience a lot of different parts of the philippines specifically in rural regions where that bare minimum access doesn't exist and it 
really like hinders a lot of students from continuing their learning. So the daily question that I face right now is like, how do we like extend that access to tech? To the parts of the world, parts of the Philippines that need it the most. And yeah. there's no like one answer for that. Still working on it. But it is something that I hope to see more conversations about moving forward. How tech should not just be like a privilege when it currently is a privilege, but like really yeah. a right. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. It's like two sides of equal diversity and inclusion is like two sides of the same coin, right? It's, it, you can make opportunities available, but ultimately it's it's including people as well that matters, you know? Yeah, and I think as the world becomes increasingly virtual, there should also be more talk about digital empathy. And like, I think what I find most ironic about it is that without the traditional sort of face-to-face cues of human empathy, technology, it in a way, it brings people closer because you get to form these amazing connections through social media, through online presence. But like at the same time, being behind a screen that just sort of removes a layer of that human intimacy you get with face-to-face um, interaction. And so I think like when it comes down to this term of digital empathy, I was wondering what does this sort of mean to you? And does it play any role in the projects that WeTech has launched or moving forward? I have read a couple of articles about digital empathy and my main impression, main takeaway of it really is that digital empathy is acknowledging that not everybody gets the same level of access to technology and just being very aware of those hindrances, those inequalities. And I think moving forward, as you're saying, like going into this post-pandemic world, we shouldn't just like presuppose that everybody can access like online classes or has like Mm -hmm. a stable Wi-Fi connection. And I think when we make more informed decisions with different people's access to technology in mind, that's when I think we can start really pushing forward more projects dealing with like getting those people more access to tech and making sure that nobody gets left behind. Because at the end of the day, I think it's in everybody's best interest. If we all have really good access to technology, we can collaborate more, we can access more resources, Mm -hmm. more young people can explore basically like any topic that they want, should they have like the access to a laptop and Wi-Fi. And I... I'm also really conscious of how, for instance, like when we used to do women in tech teach programs in person, we would go and we'd ask students, like, have you ever heard of programming before? And in a lot of rooms, especially in like our first women in tech teach program over in Marawi, which is a southern part of the Philippines, only like one to two students in a room of like 30 raised their hands. Mm-hmm. And that really opened my eyes to being like aware of how even though I'm really immersed in like the startup scene and the tech scene like that isn't always the case and I think it takes like consciously reminding ourselves that like our immediate community especially like for those of us at university like are not always consistent throughout like the entire world and that's what I think digital empathy really is just being like conscious of like privilege of access and always Mm -hmm. asking like how can we do better yeah I mean do you think that today like tech leaders is there enough talk about having access to like technology, it should be like a human right? Or do you think it's still something that's not really so much talked about or like propelled forward by the tech leaders of the industry? I do think that there's been an increased awareness and talk about lack of accessibility to tech during the pandemic, Mm -hmm. as compared to like pre-pandemic. But I do think, of course, there could be more, there could be more initiatives, there could be more CSR potentially done for like these tech companies to like invest in communities that need access to technology. So not just like CSR, but just like full grown initiatives, really. But I'm still like positive looking forward. And I, and I maintain that because more than just like the tech companies and tech leaders, 
I see a lot of young people gaining more interest in these like issues. And whenever like I talk to high schoolers through like WeTag or just through like events that I speak at about like digital inclusion, I I see a lot of like uptake and interest and people be like, oh, like I will look more into that. And that like I think carries hope within me for like our generation and like future ones to come. And like I think we will be the ones that ha- will really set the tone for what tech will be like in the years to come. So overall, like really optimistic, but as always, can think that like the adults could still like do better and invest more like, time <laughs> and energy. Yeah, well, I think that leads very nicely into, I guess, like this final concluding question we would have for you today, which is if you had this power to be the leader of this tech industry and you had the power to change anything, what is the sort of future you see for the tech industry? And if there are any immediate changes you would want to make and want to see moving forward? Moving forward, I would like to see a world where all youth, regardless of their gender or socioeconomic status, have access to tech and the potential to use it for social good. I say that because I feel like so much of my journey so far has been so circumstantial and that I went to a school that had a computer class and my teacher just so happened to go completely off curriculum and teach us like this programming game. And even from then, like I was able to access tutorials afterwards online because I had the Wi-Fi and the laptop at home. And when I think about that, like all those specifics that just ended up working out, I also think about all the young people that don't have that computer class and don't have that consistent Wi-Fi access or didn't have that that teacher that went off curriculum. I think to how we should really make sure that tech is something that isn't circumstantial. And the opportunity to learn online, to engage online should never be something that is a privilege. Like it should, it should inherently be a right, I think, moving forward. And I'd like to see one day a tech scene where like we won't have to really rally as hard for tech as a as a right, because it should be something that is already like accessible to everybody, especially in developing countries. I think as well that once we equip young people not just like in developing countries, but from countries everywhere with the access to resources via technology, we also equip them with the access to basically a a world full of opportunities. Like they can collaborate with people from around the world. They can hop on Zoom calls like this. They can learn basically whatever they want online and they can become more informed about how to solve issues within their community. Because something that we've always adopted at WeTech is this mindset that we can never tell young people in certain parts of the country, like, this is how to solve gender issues in your own country. Mm-hmm. What we can instead do is, is ask them, what do you need? Or, like, how can we help you? Because you can never really know a community better than somebody that's grown up there. So hopefully, with that increased access to tech that we can hopefully see in the future, we can also see an increase in solutions built by young people and informed by technology. That's amazing. I think, like, increasing opportunity and inclusivity for everyone in STEM is a major, major achievement and step forward. So thank you so much for sharing this amazing initiative with us and um, for coming on our podcast. But if anyone wants to get in touch with you in particular, how can they do so? Yeah, thank you so much again for having me. I've loved all the questions and I feel really like energized for the rest of my day. (laughs) Um, If anyone wants to contact me, I am most accessible 
as Audrey at vtech.org or you could also message me on Instagram. I'm at Audrey Isabelpe or at vtech.org as well. Um, general vtech inquiries can be forwarded to info at vtech.org and yeah, I'm just happy to chat about if anyone listening wants to chat about diversity, inclusion, technology and just thinking about how to make our future more friendly for anyone regardless of like their gen- gender, socioeconomic status. Feel free to shoot me a message and I'd love to do a chat.